0: Welcome to Awareness to Action, a podcast brought to you by the Northwestern Community Services Board Prevention Department. I'm your host, Casey, a social worker and prevention specialist here in Virginia. Our podcast goal is to promote wellness through conversation, connection, and action. We hope each episode will leave you feeling inspired and motivated to look for ways to get involved in your own community. Today, I'm so happy to welcome our first guest, Robin Blumenthal. Robin served as a children's and family pastor for over 25 years before learning about adverse childhood experiences or ACEs for short. Since diving into the world of ACEs, trauma, and brain development, Robin has made it her mission to share this life-changing information with communities. Robin currently serves as the education domain director at Ford Tucson and is also a facilitator of the love and logic curricula. In 2020, she authored a book titled, Where in the Zoo Are You? On today's episode, we'll be learning what an adverse childhood experience is and why it matters, and discussing how we can apply a trauma-informed perspective to our own relationships. Our conversation touches on connection, empathy, and self-care, all of which feel especially important during this challenging time. We recorded this episode amidst the pandemic, so Robin is joining me via Zoom. All right, Robin, welcome to the Awareness to Action podcast. We are so excited to have you joining us all the way from Arizona for our very first episode. Um, our hope for this podcast is that it will inspire people to continue learning and to get engaged with their communities, so we just think you're the perfect guest to kick us off.
1: <laughs> oh, I'm so excited to be here. I don't know if the perfect, perfect guest, but I am the one that is here, <laughs> so hopefully it'll, everybody will gain some value for it.
0: Yes, yes, we're so excited. Um, Robin, why don't we start by you telling our listeners a little bit about yourself and the work that you do? Uh, well, as you said, my name is Robin, and I um,
1: have been, for many years, I was a children and family pastor at uh, large churches, and then about two years ago, I um, really just felt um, that it was time to do something a little broader, and so I joined an organization called For tucson which is a faith-based city change organization, and as part of that organization, uh, right at the same time, I first heard the words trauma-informed care and as I was sharing with someone about the need maybe for people to just be able to connect with others, a friend of mine said, you really ought to look into this area. And that whole area of trauma, adverse childhood experiences really just transformed my life. So in the past two years, I have spent a lot of time uh, connecting with schools and churches, uh, other organizations, coalitions, um, to help people understand what is trauma, how does it affect how we learn, how we uh, build relationships, how we understand ourselves. Uh, so I spent a lot of time in the last two years doing that. I have a um, degree in child development and a master's in human resource leadership. And um, probably just a lot of life experience in working with people who have gone through some hard times. And it's taught me a lot. And I have just been very blessed to be able to have those people in my life.
0: Mm. Yeah, I I you know, have had the benefit of reading some of your work and attending and hosting webinars that you've done. And um, you speak a lot about this work, both in your personal life and your professional life. Um, I'd love for you to speak a little bit to that. Now, I think all of
1: us, if, if we look back, right, we've all typically been through some hard times that have taught us things. I think we don't always appreciate it at the time, and I, I have certain things in my life that I've experienced. but I think what I've really learned in the last couple of years is that if i if I stop and ask what is the need driving the behavior when I'm interacting with a child or a, a the checkout stand person at the local grocery store or somebody on the road uh, or a coworker. And if I can begin to pause and be curious about the way they're reacting instead of being triggered and think, oh my goodness, why is that person so rude? Or they ought to at least appreciate what I'm trying to do. And, and I'm not saying I'm perfect at it. I'm sure you could ask my kids and they'd be like, there's no way. But I have to say that learning some of those things has really been life-changing because it helps me to um, to be able to understand that all of us have a past that maybe the other person doesn't know about. And if we can go into any relationship or any time where we're dealing with people and we think, perhaps there's something I don't know about why this person is reacting the way they're reacting. And if I cannot take it personally and be a steady and calming force for that person and, and a presence for that person, it really might change the interactions. It might, be their experience, it'll certainly change my experience, and it will help us to be more empathetic and. Um, connecting with other people.
0: Yeah, absolutely, Robin. It's such an empathetic and compassionate way to move through life, I think, and and just so important. Um, And so you mentioned that you didn't start your career doing ACEs work, but that is really a central theme of the work you do now. So um, I think it'd be helpful if you can explain what ACEs are why they matter and, and why they're so central to your work.
1: Absolutely. Uh, as somebody who has a degree in child development and who worked with kids for years, I had not even heard of the term ACEs until about two or three years ago. So ACEs stand for Adverse Childhood Experiences. And basically it was a study that came out in the 1990s. So I was literally, when I learned about this three years ago, I thought I must be the last person on the planet to learn about this, how did I miss that? But the more that I am in schools, the more I'm working with agencies and organizations, the more I understand that really it's still up and coming, even as much as 10 years ago, where people were really just starting to understand. So there was a study done in the 90s about if there was any correlation between the adversity that a child went through, maybe missing a parent in the home, seeing domestic violence, experiencing any violence against themselves, any kind of abuse or neglect, Um, uh, watching parents or anybody in their home using substance abuse, any of those things. So there's 10 ACEs and you can really Google those and find out a lot about it. But the study showed that those, the higher the ACE score, the more directly things correlated to health risks, everything from high blood pressure to cholesterol to obesity. And it was interesting because they really discovered this as part of an obesity clinic where they were trying to see why did so many people Um, struggle with their obesity uh, over the course of time and so they were shocked to find out that there was this correlation. Uh, The more that they're studying, they're finding it's not just that correlation. It's also about the key relationships and connectedness that happen within that. So really, it's a lot of people would say, oh, um, maybe you have a high ACE score of those things have happened to you and you have a high ACE score of eight or nine or 10. And and that certainly means there may be more challenges for you. But if you had a lot of connections in your life, that's a little bit different. Or if you had a lower score and have fewer connections, then it might be worse. The other thing with all that, that doesn't even take into account things we know now that affect uh, how we relate with others, uh, everything from our environment, uh, racism, um, the, just the safety, how safe we feel in our neighborhoods, uh, things that go on in our lives, even um, the whole autism spectrum, there's so many things that affect how people relate. Whereas before we might have said years ago without knowing, we might say, well, that was when you were a child, you know, put on your big girl panties and deal with it. Well, the reality is they're finding that these ACEs and these other adversity things really changes a lot of our, um, the, the way we think, the way we respond, the way we react, the way we hold the stress in our bodies. And all of that really plays out. So as we understand more about that, we can be more both compassionate and giving to people, right? We can be able to to understand. That doesn't mean that I say, well, something bad happened to you. So everything's, I can't, you're not responsible for the way you act. But what I can say is, wow, I wonder if the way you act tells me something about maybe there's more to that story behind those actions. And if I can help either draw out maybe that story or even just presume that there is a story and react differently, we have a far greater potential to be able to connect with the child and help them learn the things we're trying to get them to learn rather than saying, that's it, you're expelled or you need to go to the principal's office or you have detention or whatever it might be.
0: When I hear you talk about ACEs over and over again, a theme is relationships and connection Um, and so as much as I would love for this podcast to be an escape from what's going on in the world I think it would be a mistake not to talk about what this looks like in the context of the pandemic where does ACE's knowledge come into play during this time when our relationships and connections look very different
1: Mm -hmm. that's a great question and I think that's one of the things that in the beginning people maybe overlooked I know I'm, I sit with a lot of groups of educators, and I think that's the piece, that social-emotional connection piece that people are understanding more and more that is missing. Certainly, we're missing certain aspects of I'm not teaching as much on history or math or, or other things that matter. But really, the things that make us more successful in life are how do we interact with other human beings? So I can speak personally, for example, um, my family, we, uh, t- about two years ago, we opened our home to a foster daughter um, who was, um, in the, had been in the foster care system. So you can imagine that anyone in the foster care system likely has a lot of ACEs or a high ACE score. They wouldn't be in the foster care system. And when she came to live with us, she had to redevelop all those connections. Were we going to be safe? Because my telling you you're safe and you feeling safe are not the same. She had had a lot of moves and disruptions about a year after having her, we adopted her. And, and I say all this because, to bring it back to COVID because when school, the school year started, even though she had been at the school she's at now last year, it was a new year all over. So you add students who do online learning who maybe that's not their best way to learn, certainly just their style of learning. And then in this case, you're, you're not really connecting, right? I see a face But what she didn't have is her IEP teacher had changed. Her choir teacher had changed. Those were the two she thought would be the same. And then, of course, as a sophomore or a junior, rather, you have all new teachers. So when a teacher would say, you're not doing it right, she would really struggle with that. Oh, this teacher is so mean. I don't care. I hate this school. I hate COVID. I hate all this. And really the need driving the behavior was, I don't feel connected. I don't know that this person is really there for me. I don't feel that we, that this person is my anchor or a steady, consistent um, relationship in my life, right? Because there's not even the, the live meeting. So we had a couple live meetings and that really helped. But even that, think of that not only as, as a student, think of the senior citizens in COVID, right? Who are disconnected from everyone else. Uh, the, the people, those of us who are working for home, and, and sometimes it's great. I mean, I'll be the first person to admit, I have my Crocs on that are just very comfortable <laughs> <laughs> and, and just really soft pants that I wouldn't wear if I was going to be somewhere else. So that part's great. But feeling connected that we are all in this together is really hard when it's in just a virtual format. And, if, and in our society, I would say that many people don't really have connections like they used to. I was just a part of a conference and Dr. Bruce Perry was sharing that if you look at society over the last, I don't know, hundred years, the groups that we lived in, the family groups, the neighborhood, group, the neighborhood groups, all of those are getting much smaller. So we have fewer and fewer opportunities to connect because not everybody connects in the same way. Certainly we all have different personalities and at least even in my neighborhood there, I was walking by a house this morning and I thought they always have their house so nice. But I couldn't even picture what those people looked like. And I have lived here for 16 years. That's that lack of connection. And the higher our ACE score, the the more things we have struggled against, or the more things currently with the pandemic, the more important those connections are so that we all kind of have that common ground and we can uh, feel empathy for each other and, and build relationships. So I think that's why COVID makes it even harder to do that we already struggled in many ways and now you add all of this, it it makes it harder.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it seems so I counterintuitive almost in a way because I think I can speak for myself when I'm really struggling or, you know, looking at the winter months that lie ahead with this pandemic, it's so much easier to just draw into yourself and not reach out and try and strengthen those connections and make more connections but that's ultimately what will be so helpful to our overall health, really. Absolutely. And a lot of people think
1: about this, the higher adversity you've experienced and the more um, unsafe things, the less you want to be vulnerable with the people around Mm -hmm. you. Our, Our brains begin to predict trust and safety, or they predict threat. So people who have had a lot of really rough experiences and not okay things, if you were to say something to me that I thought was a little off-putting, I would maybe think, oh, you're having a bad day. Or maybe you didn't mean to say that. Or I might assign that, ah oh, I, I can just forget that. But if I'm somebody who really predicts threat because of what's happened in my past or in what's happening in my world now, then that makes me shut down even more. So I don't want to even approach you and say, hey, that really hurt my feelings. Or could you explain what you meant by that? I just assumed that you meant harm. And then it makes it harder for me to trust even again. And that, that cycle really is um, important. I was uh, sharing recently, about a year ago, I was stepping out on our front porch and it was in um, like no, early November. And I stepped on what I thought was a hose as I'm walking out, it's dark, I'm carrying the recycling out. We have a house full of people. And in my head, I'm thinking, we don't have a hose on the front front porch. And then I hear the unmistakable sound of a rattle. We live in the desert and I had stepped on a rattlesnake. Now, fortunately, it was laid out and it was cold. So it wasn't very quick. And I jumped. My fight, flight, or freeze right went into action, as it should for me to get out of the way. (laughs) But the reality is I was telling somebody we have had on our property, and we don't live like really out in the boonies, but we do have like about an acre kind of around us. And we have had six rattlesnakes on our property, like front door, back door, garage in the last year. Wow. So right when the pandemic started there, I had walked into the garage and there was a, a coiled rattlesnake. I, as soon as I, it is the door, the, the light was off. There's a theme here. I need to turn on the lights and look first. Right. <laughs> I stepped out, I heard the rattle and I saw the coil and it's a huge snake. If I showed you the picture and I'm screaming and you know, kind of frozen. And anyway, I've never gotten bit, but I have to tell you that having more and more of those experiences makes me more and more cautious, right? Because my brain is yeah. like, there could be a snake here. You've had a snake there. You've had a snake. Back just a couple of weeks ago. We said, Oh, let's go for a walk. Now there'll probably be a snake. And sure enough, there was, and it was right in our driveway. And I'm like, oh my gosh. So if you were to say to me, oh, that's probably not going to happen again, that's one thing. But my brain has had that happen so many times that there's that fear. So if you, that doesn't mean that I'm not looking at the beauty of everything around me, but I'm way more cognizant on all the danger around me. So think of a child who's gone through that or adults who now are living in an area where they don't feel safe or think of the political climate or think of the racism, think of the unrest in our country. And the more you'll talk to the people, you'll see some of them are really in that fearful state. They don't feel connected. There's more and more things happening. And so they're thinking, I got to be careful because the world is out to get me. And it makes it really hard to be vulnerable then and connect with others.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I just, I think that rattlesnake is such a powerful analogy and the, uh, negative part of a podcast is that our guests can't see that. So I think we'll have to attach that picture to our podcast page. I think people need to understand what you're experiencing. (laughs) You step
1: out onto your porch. It was a large snake, I'm telling you.
0: Yeah. Uh, um, Well, I mean, that's a pretty good segue into, into my next point, which is that you recently wrote a short story titled, Where in the Zoo Are You? For children of all ages and for the adults who teach work and love them. Um, From my understanding, it's a tool you developed for the community to help children and adults navigate and understand this really challenging time. Um, Can you speak to what inspired the project and how you hope it will be used? Yes,
1: uh, it was early on in the pandemic, and I have to be honest, I was one of those people thinking, oh gosh, give it two weeks, we'll be back to normal, everyone's overreacting and i wasn't necessarily vocal with that but i worked with some people who said things like if you're wearing a mask you probably just don't have enough faith and at the same time i would talk to other people who actually even had a faith community who were saying things like this is all china's fault and then other people who were like i can't go outside until there's a cure and as i the more people that i talked to Uh, and then I was in some school settings uh, for social emotional learning, and they were talking about the different experiences kids were probably having at home. There are some kids that have a nice home and nice mom and dad living at home, and they have a computer and internet, and they have all the things they need. And then there's other kids. Can you imagine a single mom living in a one-bedroom apartment with three kids maybe, or two-bedroom apartment, and they're cooped up and there's no internet? And the more I thought about that, the more I realize that all of us are in the pandemic, but we're not all having the same experience. And my experience, whether it's good or bad, shouldn't invalidate your experience. Mm. It's both of us have different experiences and both are equally valid. Trauma isn't as much about what happens to us as it is about our perception and how we process what happens to us. For you, the snake story, for example, might not have been, Scary. My stepmom is petrified of snakes, and I think she would have probably went into a catatonic stage, right? So, so all of those things, are they're not right or wrong. That's how it reacts. So in this book, I, I decided to write it in the course of a story. So it takes place in a zoo, and there is a flood, and it's about 10 days before the educators, like I was thinking, the schools go back. But in this case, the zookeepers can go in to rescue the animals and see how they're doing. And each animal, each grouping of animals, I think there are 12 different animals has had a different experience. So the giraffes, for example, their necks are just above water for this whole time. They're just waiting, thinking that they're not gonna make it. Versus the anteater, (laughs) Alexis, the anteater, she climbs up to the top of a hill, as do all the ants to get out of the water. So she's perfectly happy. So the idea is that all of us have had different experiences, but we need to understand that just because our experience was better or worse doesn't mean that yours counts any different. So how do we all empathize with each other? Because empathy really opens the heart and the mind to learning. If I can come along beside you and say, I'm really sorry for your experience or for your loss or for what's happened, it makes a big difference rather than saying, well, it could have been worse or it could have been better, or I don't know why you're worried. Everything's going to be fine. All those things are less than empathetic responses and it means that people in general then have um, can disconnect and they don't feel as um, that somebody's standing there with them that whole idea of just being present with you even if i don't agree or i don't have the same experience i can still be present with you and that helps to healing really all the studies show that the biggest avenue for healing is to be able to have one empathetic caring adult In someone's life kind of you're a 3 a.m. person who are you Mm -hmm. gonna call and if I have um, time to to share we'll talk a bit more um, about the book but let me share this brief story many people will think well I just can't be there for someone or I only have so much time Um, I believe the story was told in one of dr. Bruce Perry who's done great work in this area uh, by somebody Um, And and in this story, it was a school and they were talking to a senior getting ready to graduate and she was very anxious about the future. The school had asked her, who does she most connect with? And she said, can I think about it and get back to you? A couple days later, she came in and she told this story. She said, when I was eight years old, now remind you, she's just getting ready to graduate high school. She said, when I was eight years old, we lived in a trailer park and I lived with my dad. At the time, he was abusing me and nobody knew. And she said, well, every day at three o'clock, the lady who lived in the trailer next door would come out and drink lemonade on the porch. And if my dad wasn't home, I would go outside and drink lemonade with her. She said, but if my dad was home, it wasn't safe for me to go outside. So I would put a note in my window that said, I cannot come out today. And that lady would bring her chair and sit under the window and drink her lemonade. And she said, that's the person who I felt most connected to. And she said, but the funny thing is, I never even knew her name. And I share that story because we never know who that connection can be for us. It oftentimes, I was in a seminar recently and they said, whatever study had been done showed that more often than not, people who put down their their biggest person they connect to was a teacher, not always their parent. So it can be anybody, it can be a neighbor. So wherever our listeners are and whatever they're doing, they can be that connection to someone. So going back to the zoo book, that was the whole idea is that the zookeepers had to involve the community so that they could provide the connections and the support and the systems and the healing that the animals needed. In this case, if I were to say, which animal do you most connect with? and you would name that animal, or I was more connected like the gorillas, but then later I felt more connected to the prairie dogs, that tells me something about where you're at. So as a parent or an educator, Mm -hmm. I can have more insight. And certainly from adult to adult, we could talk about it and probably be able to communicate our feelings even better.
0: Yeah. Well, I love that you just said that because I read Where in the Zoo Are You? I am not in a setting of any kind where I'm working with children. Um, but I showed it to some of my friends because I was like, look at, this is how we can understand what this time is like for one another. And it's, I mean, where in the zoo are you? It's just such a wonderful resource, I think, because it, it makes it easy to understand. And it's, you know, it's not only important for adults working with youth. It it really is important for those of us who are working in adult only contexts to be able to understand that as well. Um, let me give
1: you another example. The other day we were in a staff meeting and one of my coworkers said that both his parents now have COVID. And while I don't feel like I'm living in this large state of fear, I suddenly was thinking, wow, I wonder if he's been around them. I wonder if he's a silent carrier. And I thought, gosh, that surprised me that I had that thought. That was the first thing that came to my mind, not, I wonder how they're doing or, or anything like literally it it was that first thought. And I shared that in our meeting with everyone, because I know that even in our relatively small organization, there have been times where comments will be made where people don't feel safe or they don't feel like it's okay um, to be either afraid or worried or whatever. And I think that makes it hard for anyone. I mean, we've, We've all been there, right? But if I communicate to you something that makes you feel shame or guilt, that's going to hurt our relationship. It's not going to allow you to feel safe enough to maybe share what you're thinking because you might think, gosh, I don't want to be judged for that. And and really that happens everywhere. All of us do that. And the more we do that, the harder it is for us to connect and help each other heal and be, be that present person for each person.
0: Yeah. And I what I hear you saying is kind of touching on those triggers and, and how when we feel a trigger, our response changes. So I'm hoping you can speak to how building our awareness of our own triggers can positively impact our responses and in turn positively impact our relationships. Absolutely. I think that the more we
1: understand the things that trigger us. And it usually starts when we look back and be curious about our own behavior. Like, why did I react that way? Why did I yell at my spouse? Why did I yell at my kids or or shut down whatever way? And because in the moment, I'll be honest, most of us can't stop in the moment. In fact, uh, Dr. Robert Roten has a great analogy where he uses the Hulk. Uh, and if this were a visual, I would even ho- hold up a Hulk mask that I have. And, and he talks about that when we're in fight, flight, or freeze, when we are triggered, when something is getting our reaction, our blood pressure is up, our heart might be racing, we might be sweating. We are not in a place where our prefrontal cortex, where we're thinking, right? We're not kind of, wow, that's mm-hmm. interesting. My heart is racing. I wonder why. <laughs> we're just reacting. Like I jumped off the snake, right? Yeah. But the, but the more that we look back and, and can say, What was it that might have made me feel unsafe or start reacting that way and get more curious about our behavior? Then we can learn to stop a little bit more in the moment. It has to do with self-care. And honestly, I think for me at the beginning of COVID, I felt more, um, I kind of was one of those people probably trained as a pastor that I was like, oh, I don't have time to do self-care, right? I just need to serve and help other people and it'll be... It'll be fine. And I'll worry about myself later. Well, I was really, I was in several trainings this summer where they talked about, if I can't learn to be more compassionate with myself, I really can't be compassionate with you because if I don't give myself space to, to heal or to, de, to do some deep breaths, then if you do that, I'm likely going to make you feel lesser than that you have the need to do that. And that was so true, like stab in the heart, you know, I was like, oh my gosh, that is, that is so what has happened to me. So I have tried to learn even through the pandemic, I guess, (laughs) you know, necessity is the mother of invention, right? Mm -hmm. When there have been times where I find I have been so short with my kids or so uncompassionate with some of the people around me. I wonder what I need to do to get in a better Mm -hmm. space so that I can be there for the people that I love. Maybe they're my students, my family, my coworkers. And I think that's really important. Um, one of my friends um, who does a lot of trauma-informed work talks about being curious. And I think that's the, my my word lately is curious as to how I'm responding, curious as to how someone else is responding mm-hmm. and what that curiosity might lead me to, to ask. Or, or even if I were to say, gosh, I, I wonder, if you have been, or I see Casey, that you have responded in this way. I'm curious what's going on in your mind right now or your body or or what might've popped through your head. Cause I feel like I, something happened just now, you know, that kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And if I can approach it empathetically instead of like, what's wrong with you and why did you react like that? Then you might be curious and say, you know, that's a good question. And then we could get to the, the point of it. And then that brings hope, right? That brings us to be able yeah. to say,
0: ah, oh, okay. I learned something about that. Yeah. Um, I once heard someone say that the best piece of advice they'd ever gotten was to go slow and be curious. Mm-hmm. And it's just so true. I mean, when, when does it ever benefit myself or anyone else when I'm rushing through my life, writing off my feelings, writing off my responses and just go, go, going? Um, it is always better to slow down to ask, to explore what I'm feeling. Um, And yes, as you said, it brings about hope. And um, I love that you just mentioned hope because I think a really key part of any conversation about ACEs, which I think can, can feel a little bit intimidating when you first start to learn about them, the important piece is hope. And we know that what is predictable is preventable. So can you speak a little bit to how we can change the direction of the future, even if risk factors are high due to ACEs, even if we're in this really wild time of the pandemic?
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think that's probably the, the key question Enough that I have you know, a thousand answers, but I can tell you that any answers that come up are most likely going to involve the words relationship, self-care and empathy, if I were to name a few of them. So relationship, whether you are the person who is really struggling or whether you're helping somebody who's struggling, that relationship and that connectivity is really important. It's a preventive uh, factor, one of the highest. As I said, at one time, um, there was years ago when I was learning about child development in college, I remember there was some famous study and I keep thinking, someday I'll look it up. But they were talking about what's the difference between when somebody has a horrific childhood and they become president of the United States versus they become a psychopath killer. And they said that if they had to lay it all out, the thing that seems to be proven is that it is key relationships, whether it's the parent or the teacher or the grandparent, but Mm -hmm. somebody that communicates unconditional love and support that doesn't mean that you may not even have to have some kind of hard follow through. And I think in our society, as parents and as teachers, people who work with children or other adults, sometimes we think, well, I can't be both consistently loving and allow a consequence, Mm -hmm. or I can't be both consistently loving and, and see that person maybe have to pay for something they did go to prison Mm -hmm. or lose privileges or lose their job. But you can, I've had to sadly, Let go of several employees over the course of my life. And not that I do it always great, but I try to say this, we are still here for you, but you're not able to work here in this place Mm -hmm. where so many times what we say, well, you're fired, give me your key, escort you out the door. And we ruin the relationship and cause even more trauma. So one of the ways going back to the, the hope is to be that relationship or to seek out those relationships. Another thing I think in involved with that is community. That Mm -hmm. people need to find a community of like-minded individuals. That might be in their faith community, it might be in their neighborhood, it might be in their family, but it's hard because if you don't trust people, it takes that vulnerability. And I think the more we learn that I'm going to try again, that relationship maybe wasn't the best place or this place was good for that season, but now it's not good for this season. I know that um, this summer I knew several ladies who were really struggling. And so I did a um, book club on Zoom with um, Brene Brown. She's written some mm. great stuff. And I thought, I need to learn this. I wonder if there's anyone else who might need to learn it. And yeah. everything was like, oh, that's so nice you did that. And I said, no, I just needed accountability <laughs> to read yeah. this book. And honestly, we grew closer and many of us never actually even met, right? Because Mm -hmm. it was COVID and they weren't people that I've actually met outside of this. Um, I think the other thing with self-care is really stopping to ask, what is it that helps you to feel more grounded, to feel safe, to feel refreshed? Because what Mm -hmm. helps you isn't the same thing as what helps me. And of course, everybody's strength and weakness is kind of on a continuum. So sometimes Mm -hmm. people will say, oh, just having downtime and being alone. Well, that might refresh you, but at some point, maybe too much downtime and too much aloneness gets you lost in yourself. Or for me, I like to be busy, but sometimes being too busy means I don't have enough time to keep that patience with the people around me. So I think that that um, just kind of stopping and asking ourselves and doing some of the hard work ourselves but having a partner, you know, somebody who will come along and support you, and just say, "Hey, I look back over this year, and you really have grown. You've developed mm-hmm. resilience." And I think resilience is another huge thing. Is is parents, as um, teachers, as anybody in the community, how do we help encourage people to build real, you know, resilience? Uh, we were having a little bit of tech problems on here, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And one of the things for me is um, I found at this conference I was helping with. People were asking me about all this tech stuff. And I had to laugh because before COVID, I literally, I think I'd been on like two <laughs> Zoom my life, but my job depended on it. So I, ha- I just kept at the hard work. But I have to say that looking back, I was like, wow, I did it. I was able to do that. Now, your thing may not be tech or, or it might be, but what is those things that you can do and say, you know what? I had a good day yesterday, or I reached out to someone who I haven't reached out with for a while, or I have done this for myself. Those are ways that we can build resilience and it all comes through struggle in the
0: right increments. Mm -hmm. And I think self-awareness and reflection are such key pieces of that. How do we, how can we learn from our experiences, from our struggles, if we're not taking the time to really process what has happened? And I think one of the best ways to do that is is with someone that you trust, someone from your community. Absolutely. So, you mm-hmm. know.
1: And I think being gracious with yourself too. When there's mm-hmm. days where you're like, I really should have thought that through. Mm-hmm. I the other day there was a poor senior citizen that I help with, and she had called me, I kid you not, like five times, and I thought, oh, I just don't have time to do this. Well, sadly, when I called her back finally, I had promised to order her pizza, and I had oh, completely <laughs> forgot. I know. Horrible. I'm like, yeah. oh my god said, you know what, if this is the worst thing, and the thing is, she gave me more grace than I gave myself, because mm-hmm. I'm thinking, mm-hmm. I strive to be you know, perfect, right, strive to yep. make everybody happy, and I had to say, you know what, you did the best you could, and you made a mistake, and tomorrow, you'll have a new opportunity, and you can learn from that, but it's hard sometimes to be that compassionate with ourselves, at least for me, but if I'm not compassionate with myself, then I really can't be as compassionate with other people.
0: Yes. agreed. (laughs) Um, Robin, you're so knowledgeable about ACEs and about the power of relationships. I'm just wondering what are some resources that have helped you along the way and what resources might our listeners look into to learn more about this? Some of the things that have been um, most empowering
1: to me, like I say, um, a lot of Brene Brown's writings um, for, for self-growth has been important. Mm-hmm. Um, the book, um, and I can't pronounce his name, but it's um, The Body Keeps the Score. And that book has been very powerful about how we hold trauma in our bodies and the importance of deep breaths and breathing and, the, and being comfortable in our own skin. And I have to say, working with my daughter, that's one of the things that I have seen her grown, grow so much in the last two years, that she's learned to be comfortable in her own skin. And if I'm not comfortable in my own skin, I can't really be comfortable wherever I'm at, right? Because my self goes with me wherever I'm at. Um, Dr. Bruce Perry uh, has written an excellent book, several, but the one that I um, specifically enjoy uh, because of what it teaches is The Boy Who Was Raised as a Dog. Um, And he he just talks about, again, the importance of relationship, the timing of trauma, how those things go together. Um, and then there's also, if you haven't, there's a lot of great Ted talks, but one of them is by Dr. Nadine Burke Harris. And she talks about when she first learned about ACEs as a pediatrician, I believe she's a surgeon general in California now, but when she first learned as a pediatrician, she thought, how can I be good? How could I've gotten through medical school and not know about this? And, and honestly, the more, every time I teach a group of educators or a, a community, any, anywhere, I asked how many people have heard of the Adverse Childhood Experience study, and so many people still have not. And along with that, um, we had, in fact, I I should probably say this, that that study caused uh, a group of people in Walla Walla, Washington, to bring Dr. Robert Onda, who is one of the authors of the study, to there. This was many years ago, right? Maybe, um, I think maybe 10 years ago. And while they were there at this convention of largely professional people, a woman stood up, just a mom who was there stood up and she said, I have an A score of 10. And I just heard him say that it's not my fault. And she said, if our community could learn this, it will change everything. And here's this one mom and that comment is what got some balls rolling so that the movie paper tigers was filmed. It's a documentary out of Walla Walla, Washington. And that's an excellent documentary documentary. It was on Amazon prime for free. There are several other documentaries, um, broken places, resilience that show the power that the more we learn, the more that we can help others, the more we can be more self-aware. And those are all some great resources that I have sought out and, you know, and looked into over the course of the last few years.
0: That's great. Thank you. Um, I will be sure to link all of those in the show notes so that listeners can easily find them. Um, And what I would think is even more exciting is I would love for you to share how our listeners can connect with you and the work you're doing, how they can learn more about where in the zoo are you, all that good stuff. Oh, oh, I would love that. Uh, Well, my
1: email is robinatfortucson.com. It's the number four. I'd be happy to help connect uh, with anyone or help them get to kn- connected to some groups in their area. If you're in another part of the country, I, I also um, the where in the zoo and you where in the zoo are you will be for sale on my website, uh, robinblumenthal.org. And it'll also be on Amazon, but it's still at the printer now. So it's probably not going to be either of those places until maybe the last week of November. It's oh, so close. So we're very <laughs> excited. And then the conference, we did a reclaiming hope conference on Friday with so many of these speakers, um, Dr. Perry um, did a recording for us at the end, um, and then Rick Griffin, who worked with the Paper Tigers movie and Community Resilience Initiative, which is another great organization. He was our keynote, and anyone can get that information. Um, the conference is over, but we recorded everything, and people will have access for 30 days. So that will be, um, in fact, we we're down to about three recordings that we have to finish capturing, and then we'll post that. So that's another great way that people can just learn from home. Uh, And I can give you any of that information so you can connect it to the podcast as well.
0: Great. That's awesome. Um, So Robin, you're our first guest on Awareness to Action. So you'll be the very first one to answer this question that we will ask all of our future guests. What does the process of Awareness to Action mean to you? I think
1: it means that I can do something. I cannot do everything. But like the story of the starfish... I can do something for one person. And when I do that, it changes the world for that one person. Uh, in, in our family, having gone into the foster care where we had raised our four daughters and our youngest um, were in, had just left for college or were getting ready to leave when we were getting our foster care license. And people would joke with us and say, well, you must just not want to have an empty nest. And I said, no, I'm afraid I'll like my empty nest. And we want to make a difference in someone's life before we get too comfortable. And knowing that we were able to bring a child from the foster care system and seeing the change in her life in two years, looking at how she relates and all those things has been, it's certainly not easy all the time, but I can say it's been life-giving and life-changing. And I look at the things that I've been learning about ACEs, um, and it's been this perfect storm, right? <laughs> I learned something, I go home and I go, oh, I see why that works. Yeah. Or I see why I shouldn't do that. And she has taught me so much. And and I think in all of that, I think it is so important for us to know that we can be that difference for somebody. And now, that may not mean that we're bringing somebody in, you know, from foster care or any of those things, but it may mean that we look at to a neighbor that we haven't seen well, or we know someone who passed away and they left some family members that are really struggling or we see that store clerk who just is always so gruff and you wonder what is happening in their life at home that makes them not have any energy to greet people nicely i mean let alone COVID. certainly that's enough for many of us but i think the whole idea is that when we are aware of what's happening in the world around us and how people are affected by that it changes how we interact with others or it changes how we interact and look at ourselves. And, and we're not going to get it perfect. I mean, again, if you had my kids on, they would all be like, oh, <laughs> there's a lot of things she does wrong. Absolutely. But I think in general, if we learn and grow together, then we can all do something. And that action might look different for you than it does for me. But I can say, if I never heard of this three years ago, and I now started a conference because I knew people need to hear about it, then there's something anyone can do. I'm just, you know, just Robin, somebody who is out there and felt called to do some of these things. And I think all of us feel that calling to do in whatever that is, that's our action. And that's what's going to really help us to, um, just, I think, to be able to build resilience, to say, hey, I did something.
0: Yes, 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 yes. All of that. I love that. Um, Robin, thank you so much for being here. Your passion for your work is both evident and inspiring. And I love that technology lets us connect even from across the country um, so that you can be here with us today. Thank you so much you. for your time.
1: Oh, thank you for having me. I'm honored to have uh, been a part of this and I um, hope that uh, you continue to, to inspire people by doing this great work and, and uh, doing this podcast. So thank you for having me.
0: Thanks everyone for tuning in. Like I said before, we'll add Robin's contact information and a link to Where in the Zoo Are You to the show notes. We hope you'll take some time to reflect on Robin's message and consider how you might incorporate ACE's awareness into your own life. We're really excited to be jumping into this podcast and we have a lot of great guests who will be joining us in the months ahead. Make sure to subscribe to Awareness to Action so you don't miss out on any of the fun. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time.